welcome to Vision Scope, a program designed to educate and inform on matters relating to disabilities. My name is Wilbert Williams. Hello listeners, so glad you could join me for another episode in the series Vision Scope. We always try to bring you interesting and informative features and I trust that this one will be no different. Karian Ifield is a Barbadian. She was a senator in the Barbadian Parliament and president of the Senate. She is also president of the Caribbean Council for the Blind and currently a member of the Barbados Constitution Commission. She chatted for quite a while with King Rocco and me and we, we learned a lot about her and her development and so we decided that we would share this with you today. This is an edited version of a program which was first aired on UVC radio on a show called Tell It Like It Is. We have a special guest. She is Karian Eiffel, a former senator in the Barbadian Parliament, and uh, she is currently the president of the Caribbean Council for the Blind. And what else, Kerian? Yeah. <laughs> um, <I laughs> president of the Barbados Council for the Disabled, vice president of the National United Society of the Blind. Um, and I'm also on a couple of government committees. I'm deputy chair of the advisory panel no advisory committee was trying to remember the right act mm. for the improvement of lives of persons with disabilities um and i was just recently appointed to the constitution reform commission um as many of you may know barbados became a republic last november mm -hmm. and so there's a 10-man commission which has been established to chart the process for a new constitution oh good all right so 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 let's 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 go right back tell us who is karyan eiffel <laughs> karyan eiffel is an only child of a beautiful mother she lives in new york and i am um i love i i'm a i have a very supportive family on both sides. I am 
the first totally blind child to have the mainstream school experience here in Barbados. I work in assistive technology, so I train students for our local national disabilities unit. I also do some part-time work in the evenings and on weekends with the organization known as Tech Vision. I do some, um, but the truth is, apart from all of those other things, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy working with my Sunday school kids and cooking and baking and doing crochet and singing. Those are the things that I really do enjoy doing. I, I always like to ask my guests this next question, and that is, how would you describe yourself for our listeners? Remember, we don't have television here, right? <laughs> so, how, how would you describe yourself? I am... Um... You mean a visual <laughs> description or personality? <laughs> a visual one, visually? Yeah, I, I, yeah, give us give us a visual glimpse of Carrie-Ann. I'm five foot six. I have I wear sister locks, which falls just past my hips. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been told I'm the color of dark chocolate. Um. My personal trainer would tell you there's a little bit too much of me. So <clears throat> I, I always say I'm blessed and highly flavored. Um, what else can I tell you? Uh, that's about it, really. And I've been well. told I have a very beautiful, mischievous smile. <laughs> no, I have a beautiful mischievous smile. Yes, okay. and I am a beautiful black, and I am a black woman. Don't know about the beautiful part, but I do have a beautiful smile. And you have a captivating personality. Why <laughs> <laughs> <I> thank you. <laughs> All right. Tell us a little bit about your childhood now. Well, um, as I, I lost my vision completely when I was about five years old. And I enrolled, my mother enrolled me then at the, it's now called the Irving Wilson School, but then it was just called the School for the Deaf and the Blind. Hmm. And that's where I learned Braille and the usual blindness skills. And um, I had this teacher. She was a very unusual person. Unusual in that she was very unconventional. She didn't understand the word no. She didn't get that word at all. And um, so she used to call us her kids. She used to say, uh, you know, she she taught me to cook from the time I was six years old. I did my first mac and cheese. So I blame her with my blessedness and my high, and my favor. Uh, <laughs> not really. Um, and I was the kind of little girl that I got to do what, you know, not, I, now, nowadays, I have to be careful with this one. I don't want to say everything I wanted to do. But I had a, a pretty normal childhood. Mm. You know, I used to run around with my cousins and play and do those kinds of things. Um, my grandmother took me to church. So I was active in my Sunday school for years. All of those things. Yes. So I had a pretty good childhood. Any, uh, any sporting activity? Well, no. I was never a big one for sports. Never was a big one for sports. But, you know, I loved um, 
but I grew up in a I grew up in an era where there were not many opportunities for organized sports yeah. for visually impaired children. Mm-hmm. So unfortunately for me, um, by the time those things became a reality, I was past the whole sporting thing. Okay, what but you, I do love playing games. <laughs> what would you say was your favorite subject in school? English. I absolutely love English language. I love reading. I love, um, I love anything that involves reading and mm-hmm. good mu- good stories and stuff. I like music too, but yeah. So when it came time for you to leave school, what was the transition like? Well, I went to the school for the blind, as I said. When I left the school for the blind, I became, um, I, well, no, 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 let me, let me back it up. I was at a school for the blind and I had this teacher, like I said, who does not understand the concept of no. So she felt that I could make it in regular school mm-hmm. and pregnant though she was, the woman walked the length and breadth of Barbados with me in tow talking to anyone she thought would listen to get me, for them to give her a hearing to get me into a regular school. Okay. And when I was 14 years old, I was at her house coincidentally Mm. and her roommate's friend, he was a journalist and he was listening to this. He's looking at this child. He's seeing that she's blind, Mm -hmm. but he's hearing her talk about normal things, playing video games, um, playing the guitar, Mm. you know, just being a regular teenager. So the two didn't add up for him. So he wanted to do a story about me. And he did the story. And I would always remember the headline said, music lights up Carrie's life. And the photograph is of me sitting in my living room with a guitar on my lap. And one of the things he asked me was, if I had three wishes, or I can't remember how many wishes, but if I had a wish, what would it be? And my wish was to attend a normal secondary school just for one day. I just wanted to see what it was like. And the Minister for Youth Affairs who was reading the newspaper, he saw that story and he said, why just one day? So he invited me into his office, met with me, and he thought, you know what, you should go to a regular school, not just for one day, but to further your academic. And so I did. So I went to the Cobbamere Secondary School. And if you know anything about Barbados, um, we are doing educational reform right now. But up until that, uh, up until now, there are certain schools that are considered top schools and Cobbamere is one of them. But it's not for the academic reasons alone. It's because of the way that Combamere embraces and empowers its students. So okay, I got so to go. Your education was rounded. Very, very mm. well rounded. Mm-hmm. Right. So when I got into, I was a girl guide. I was in the debate society. I was in the school choir. I got into trouble like anybody else. Well, not much because <laughs> I was a good girl. But you know, we had. Yes. So that's what it was like. So I went into mm-hmm. secondary school. Mm-hmm. And that's you know where I got to do that part of it. 
when I left secondary, when I was leaving secondary school, no, wait, hang on, is it then? No, when I was going into sixth form, and they started asking, you know, what career did students want to get into? I remember saying I wanted to be a lawyer, and the guidance counselor was the person conducting those discussions. Mm -hmm. And she said to me, uh, basically, she didn't know how a blind person could be an attorney. And basically, I allowed one of the few times in my life that I allowed people's low expectations to guide what I chose. So I can't I chose believe that that happened to you. <laughs> I was only 16 is my excuse, but it's never happened since. Because yeah. I allowed, and I didn't have any other, you know. So I didn't go into law. Mm. Um, I did get to university and I did sociology and psychology there instead. So, but I always say God takes you where he wants you to be. Yes, and yes. That's how I ended up where I did, but yeah. So, All right, tell I, us. Like I said, I don't blame her. She didn't know any better. Tell us, tell us now about your exam situations how did you manage with coping with writing exams and all of this you know it is saddening to me because as i said earlier i work in assistive technology and so i am still working with schools and exams then unfortunately the blind students that are in barbados today and i dare say around the caribbean we still have the same challenges so yeah. when I was the internal exams at school uh, from second form, those were not a big issue because my exams were put into Braille because I was a Braille reader and writer. Mm -hmm. And I did my exam papers in Braille and then they were transcribed into print and the teachers did the corrections. Um, I came up with my own method of, because I did Spanish, I love languages. So mm -hmm. I came up with my own method of um, creating accented letters because I didn't have a typewriter. Okay, with, with, with the Spanish character. Right, right. I didn't know how to write Braille Spanish, mm -hmm. so I came up with my own method of doing those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. When it came to the external exams, CXC, I did those in fifth form. Those were a bit of a challenge because math was the biggest disappointment. The math curriculum I hated math when I was in school. Mm -hmm. And I had this wonderful math teacher. She gave me two even, one evening a week for two years. She had private math lessons with me. And we came up with our own methodology of how I would do it. And we went through, because I hated, I wasn't good at things like vectors and matrices, but I was really good when it came to things like, um, quadratic equations and those kinds of things. However, when the CXC paper came, there was another student who was doing the paper in Jamaica. And I guess because they were better trained, uh, they had known what to do and how to apply to mm -hmm. CXC for certain things. Mm -hmm. So when the math paper got to me, all of the questions that my teacher and I had worked on that I had trained to do, they took out of the exam. So I got the paper that the other students should, would have had. Wow. And I was very upset because I failed math 
And I failed it because I didn't get the questions I could handle because I'm not a natural math student. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I hated that. So that was one thing. The French exam was another one that really, math upset me, but French traumatized me. Because again, um, you're a Braille reader, really, so you know. Yeah. There is a code for French and there's one for Spanish. Mm -hmm. But nobody knew those when I was in school. And so I wrote French my way. The first time I saw French Braille was the day that I had to do my French oral exam. And when they handed me the comprehension, the reading assignment, that was the first time I actually touched a piece of French in Braille that I had not written myself. That must have been frightening. Actually, no, it was exciting because I did it perfectly. <laughs> you um, did? Okay. I did. I saw the, because, you, you know, we get external examiners for those mm -hmm. things. So when I ran mm -hmm. into the, I saw the external examiner afterwards. Mm -hmm. And he said, you got a grade one, didn't you? No, the <laughs> fact that he said that. Yes. says to me that he was impressed because I spoke French. Yeah. My French accent was pretty decent. Okay. But the exam was a horror. Yes. The, the other papers were a horror because, in my, picture this, I walk into the French long paper exam and there's this woman sitting in the room mm -hmm. and I have to write out, I have to write my French paper in Braille mm -hmm. and I also have to dictate to her. So I had to read a writer and I had to write in Braille. So I had to do both. I was reduced to complete tears mm -hmm. by the end of that exam. I'd never used a reader writer in all of my days. And, and, the first you, time and you, had to, you had to do that. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't know, like I would say, Je voudrais en plaque Right? I would tell her that that's what I'd written. And she'd like, pardon? And I was trying to figure out, is she sending me a cue? Did I say something wrong? Should it have been Javre instead mm -hmm, of Javre? Mm -hmm, and that mm -hmm. it it was it was mentally exhausting. I was it was traumatizing. Carry on. Maybe what we could do at this stage is you could talk to us about your entry into Parliament. How how did it come about? How did you become a senator? Uh, you remember the school I told you I went to, mm -hmm. <laughs> so. The country, we'd had an election in January of that year. And the then prime minister, the newly elected prime minister, he was a through and through Convermarian, as we call it. And he called, he, <laughs> ah, the, his political advisors at the time, who was looking around, he wanted a more diverse Senate. Mm. So they were going through and they said, well, they wanted to cover this and they wanted to cover that. Da, 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 da. So I was called and, and told, the prime minister wants your CV. I was like, okay. So I sent it in because I didn't expect anything to come of it. But I forgot where he went to school. Nah, that wasn't it. Um, so one day I was sitting in my office where I worked at the Barbados Council for the Disabled. And this phone call came through. And I said, good morning. And the person says, good morning. My sweetie, Carrie Ann, I feel like I said, speaking. He said, this is David Thompson. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, that name of that voice sounds vaguely familiar. Oh, good morning, <laughs> sir. Because <laughs> I didn't get, well, you don't, prime ministers don't just pick up the phone and call you. No. Anyway, by the end of that conversation, I was asked to be 
in the Senate. And it was so funny. So that was the Thursday morning. Mm. And I hadn't gotten a chance to speak to anybody about anything. So imagine my shock when around four o'clock that afternoon, the phones start going ballistic. It was on the news. It was on the news. <laughs> I was so taken aback. Because yes. I, 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 I didn't expect that. Yes. So that's how I, I got into. But and but the, the shock came. Well, that was shock number one. Mm. Shock number two came on the day of my swearing in. And I um I, I didn't have the clothes for this kind of thing. Mm. Anyway, I turned up at government house and I at the, as it was then now state house. Mm. And there I am standing and this little short guy, as I thought of him, started hovering. Like, what is wrong with this person? <laughs> Turns out he was a clerk of parliament. Okay. And I overheard a conversation. Need to talk to her. Deputy mm. president. I was like, what? <laughs> so, yeah. So then I was elected deputy president of the Senate. Mm. Um, well, I mean, it's a formality. And so I was totally stunned because here it is. I thought I was the token disabled person, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I just happened to be a woman too, so, and not too old, so I kind of ticked off some boxes. So, whoopee, we've got that covered next, kind mm. of thing is what I thought. But when I heard that deputy president thing, that ain't a token. A token oh. is not somebody you expect somebody to get work out of, right? And the president of the Senate, he eventually, he became too ill. And I was the acting president for nearly a year. And then that got extended. And yeah, so you see what I mean? So yes. it, 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 it said a lot about yes. his confidence in me. Yes. So t- tell us a little bit about the, the structure in Barbados. Um, because I think the president, the, the the president of the Senate in Jamaica is about the fifth in rank. Hmm? Fourth, it would have been fourth in Barbados at the time. Fourth in Barbados, okay. Yeah, um, because it's the. I think it should be about the same. Um, it's the. It's the. Well, governor, then it would have been the governor general, the prime minister, prime minister. the chief chief justice, and then the president of the Senate. Oh, yes. I think it's fourth, you know. Yes, I, fourth. Maybe I got it wrong. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. So that must have been initially frightening for you. <laughs> although, although, although you must have said yes. But I think it's a spontaneous yes. Yeah, yeah you say yes. You're like, what did I just say yes to? <laughs> <laughs> so, Especially... Having said yes, you've got to work out the logistics now. Exactly. What was that like like, trying to work out the logistics of being president of the Senate? Or even acting? You know what? The logistics weren't difficult because the Clerk of Parliament, our Clerk of Parliament is the epitome of support. Mm. Uh, He 
as he tells you, his political allegiances, I never asked him what they were. And as he said to me once, his, he said, I can't get you there, but once you're there, I will help you to be the best you can. And he does that. Yeah. You know, he, I spoke to him about the fact that I needed something to read my notes with. Mm -hmm. And uh, I got a Braille display. They provided me with a Braille display. They made sure I got all of my stuff electronically. Um, I got the rehab officer at the time. She came and she taught me how to get to my chair in the Senate, how to get to, you know, those kinds of things. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, you know, it, it just, whenever we traveled, he would be my aide. I used to tease him because I said I always ruined his chances with the ladies because he's a single guy. <laughs> so he was just walking around with me. So I told him, I'll tell you what, if you see, a, if you spot a lady that you want to talk to, you can just abandon me in a corner and you can go over and talk to her. And I will. <laughs> but he's not going to do that. He has a... No, 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 no. He's yeah. a good guy. But we had that kind of a relationship. Yes. So yes. It, it, it was, yeah. But, you know, that that though really is the, the the thing about living with a disability that's what it's about it's about oh, yeah. having the right support network in place mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, always some some of us think that being independent means we have to do it all on our own no 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 and that's not what it means being independent means that it has to be you have the right to determine the direction you want it to go in that's what being independent means it and doesn't having, mean that having, you <laughs> and having the capacity to decide yeah. when you need help. Yes, exactly. And recognize that you do need help. Yes. You know, you have to be able to recognize that you don't have to manage it all on your own. Mm. Um, and But that being said, you don't become a baby and a whiner either. No, and no, no, expect, no, no. The world does not expect living with a disability. Every day is another challenge. Um, mm -hmm. As I said earlier, I've just been appointed to the Commission uh, for Constitutional Reform. Mm -hmm. And a comment was made. And it was not made. It was made because the person didn't know. Mm -hmm. Right? They said, well, you know, the best, we should set up a WhatsApp group. I don't know if Commissioner Eiffel can use WhatsApp. And I said, <laughs> and they said, can you? I said, um, once it's technology, I can use it. Yeah. So, I was speaking to another commissioner colleague today and I said, you know, what you all may think is an issue is not an issue for me. The issue for me, transportation, on the other hand, that is a bigger it, issue. It's a much bigger issue than mm -hmm. the technology. Mm -hmm. Even if you send me, the, the, for example, um, when I, the first evening we met, they handed me a large book. Mm -hmm. Every commissioner was given a copy of a large book that we need, that they recommended as good reading. Yes. And I didn't say, well, I can't read this and blah, blah, blah. I went home and made sure I found it. I got an electronic copy yes. and I contacted our local, uh, the library at our local university mm. um, to find out what would I need to pay to access the library if I need to do research. Mm -hmm. All right. Those are the things that we have to do. So that part of it is not the problem. No, when you tell me you want to have a meeting and you can't tell me today you want a meeting today because I need to figure out how am I going to get there? Yes. How am I going to get home? Yes. And I am not 
the other commissioners are not my transportation. No, I'm no. not their responsibility. Yeah. They should not have to be. I shouldn't. They should not have to say, "Oh, but carry on this and that," you know. And that is not that. That is not independence. Wow. You know, it's not about me calling up the the the, the when I was in Parliament. Wow. It's not about me calling up this person and saying, "I need. I don't. I can't get from here to there." It's about you figuring out. What are you, you going to need to you get? You must really be able to, to work out how you're going to get from point A to point B. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I have a young friend who is an attorney. She's totally blind. And when she was called to the bar, we had an interesting conversation. Mm-hmm. Now, <clears throat> she does not want to work in the court system. And the challenge with her working in the courts is not that she doesn't go to court or anything, uh, not that she couldn't, but her problem is simple. I'm sure that courts work the same way all over the world, which is you don't go to one courthouse. No. So she'd have to turn up in District F today, District C tomorrow, mm-hmm. and that is a transportational nightmare yes. for us that don't command our own. Or we'd be paying, we'd be earning a salary just to pay for the the, the, the taxi we'd need to take. <laughs> Which is, in a, in a lot of instances, that has happened to people, you know. It does. It yeah. does. It does. So she had to find a different method. So the truth of the matter is, it wasn't studying. It wasn't reading. That was the issue for her. It wasn't passing the exams. It was none of those things. It wasn't the electron. It was simply mm. getting, how am I going to get here? Mm. How am I going to... That is what it is. So... That that is it's it's having a disability comes with its own challenges. Oh. There is no I think a friend of mine said it to me best once. A friend of mine who's blind, she said there is nothing to replace the eyes. Nothing. No. But it means that we have to have a toolkit. And in that toolkit, we need to have the tools to get us through. So today the claw hammer might be the best hammer to deal with, but tomorrow it might be the ball peen, and the day after it might be a different type of hammer. It might be the straight. You see what I mean? Different yes. tools for different oh, yes. situations. Yes. And that is what... So, for example, uh, I love Braille. Hmm. and I don't think... There, there is no substitute for Braille in the life of a blind student. However... I agree. However, that it's not being the only said, modality. no, and not only is it not the only modality, hard copy braille is not the only type of braille there is. When now, remember the book that I just told you that I got a huge copy mm-hmm, of. Mm-hmm. I am not going to need that book again after my time in the Senate in, in on the commission. In, is on the over, commission, mm-hmm. right? This book, if this were put into braille, this would be way too big. Mm-hmm. But I can use the screen reader to access it. I can read it on my phone. I can read it with a Braille display. I have other methods. Now, some people say, well, you have those things at your disposal. No, yeah, I have three options. But pick one. Mm-hmm. If you can't have access to all of them, which is the ideal, pick one. Yep. And the best one out of all of them to pick is the computer. Yes. If, if you have so to. Yes. Right? I'm just saying that, that, that the, at the end of the day, we need to have all, all of these things. Mm-hmm. We, the, the reality is I love Braille. There are some things that I will not read. I have to read 
Bible reading at a funeral service tomorrow. Mm. I could read that quite easily off of my Braille display, but I have it in hard copy because there are just some things that I prefer to have that way. And it's easier to manage. It is easier to manage. It is much easier to manage. Mm. But that being said, there are other things that I I don't might. This is part of my reality, Mm. you know? And one of the things that I lament is that as things have advanced around the Caribbean, the divide between the disabled community and the blind community especially, and the mainstream should have narrowed. But in a lot of ways, it has widened. But, you know, going back a little bit to choice, we, we, we're not, we're not, the current population is not being educated to make informed choices. No. No. And that, that um, is a weakness in the system at the moment. It is. I'm currently doing, pursuing, I'm finishing off my graduate diploma in special education with our local Mm. teacher training college. And the thing with that is because of it, I've been engaging with education of the blind from a more academic perspective. Mm -hmm. And I was reading up on the expanded core curriculum, which is an essential part of teaching a blind student. Mm And you know what, Willie? Among those nine components, you've mm-hmm. got assistive technology, you've got compensatory skills, which includes Braille and stuff like that. You've got a whole host of things. But you know what's one of the nine elements? What? Self-determination. You have to teach the blind child how to determine for themselves, how That's to nice speak thing. up, how to self-advocate. Yes. And that is not what is happening because you're taking a lot of blind children, tossing them into the mainstream Mm. with teachers who are not trained to deal with them. Mm. And so you do not get that individualized specific training to teach that child Mm. how to come. So unless you know how to, the parents are speaking up for you and all kinds of, no, you need to teach one of my international students. He had a situation earlier this year where he had a teacher, she was from the old school, he's doing a college program. Mm. And his teacher from the old school, she refused categorically to put anything online. She wouldn't put up her notes, she wouldn't do anything, not just for him. This is how, this was equality because she didn't do it for any of the students. Mm. And the first test he had to take, she was doing a paper and pencil exam made no concessions. So he turned up in the exam and he had to do it with a reader. Mm. This is not, now this student has, as we say, other exceptionalities. He's not only visually impaired. He's somewhere on the autism spectrum, I believe. Mm -hmm. That's just my assessment. That's not thing. This is what I'm saying. But it totally threw him off. Completely Mm -hmm. threw him not only that, but, sometimes you can end up with a reader who doesn't know too much about the subject. Well, that's it. So, but here's the thing. Back to my thing about self-determination. Mm-hmm. The following week, when I encountered the student, he presented a letter 
that he was writing to the college, mm. outlining his needs, writing exactly what he wanted. Uh, you know, saying why he was dissatisfied because she mm -hmm. said she doesn't do she doesn't do do over. She doesn't do makeup tests. She told him. Mm. That young man wrote a letter to the college and he got to do a redo. He got 29 out of 99 on the first exam. He got 79 out of 99 on the second Big one. Difference. Big Major difference. Major difference. Because yeah. when it was presented, it was presented to him in a in a form that mm. he could, but it came through advocacy. Mm. And that is what we don't teach our visually impaired, our students with disabilities. We do not empower them to be able to speak up for themselves, right? And that is one of the biggest failings that we have now that we've mainstreamed. Carrie Ann, how long did you stay in the Senate? Uh, from 2008 to 2018, I served as deputy president from 2008 till 2012. Mm. And then I became president from 2012 to 2018. So you had quite a good long stint. Um, yes, I did. And having completed that, do you do you still have a desire for? Well, would you consider <laughs> representational politics? No. <laughs> <laughs> eh? Eh? No. No. What I'm saying. No. That was my question to ask uh, Miss Ifill. Okay, sorry. I mean, is <laughs> she still interested in politics? Yeah. Uh no. No, no, I'm not. Can you because give the listeners a reason why, perhaps not? Yeah, I'm not a political. I'm not a politically motivated person. Okay. Um, I'm not, or more appropriately, I am politically minded. I'm not a partisan person. Yeah. No, I am a card carrier member of the Democratic Labour Party, and I will always be. Uh, I am a loyalist in that regard. But when it comes down to, yeah, yeah, no, no, no. But when it comes down to the actual hustle and stuff like that in politics, mm -hmm. I think the Caribbean perspective on political, I, I don't have that. I don't have the cutthroat mentality. I understand. Yes. That's not me. But that being said, mm -hmm. politics is a dirty system, but it's a system that we have. Mm -hmm. Right? It is that democracy is not perfect. But democracy is what we have. And I think that there, there are a lot of things that we can achieve through political, you know, for example, uh, currently in the Caribbean, we need more legislation for mm -hmm. rights for right. disabilities. Mm -hmm. But you want to know a funny thing? In the U.S., they have the Americans with Disabilities Act. That was enacted back in 1990. If that were being implemented the way that it was intended, my student would not have had a problem in January of this year with that lecturer. Mm -hmm. What he needed would have been provided. And he's only one example. So, so legislation, shortcomings, whichever way you go. Whichever way you go, there's still shortcomings. But here's the difference. Mm -hmm. The difference is he had something underpinning when he said, this is what I need. He yeah. had something to fall back on. Yeah. That's what maybe because, yeah. as somebody said, uh, you cannot legislate attitude. You can't. You just can't. No. No, you can't. 
but you can make people really uncomfortable if they discriminate against you for no proper reason. Do you do you do you actually miss the Senate? No, not really. I think you know what I'm the kind of I'm the kind of person I believe firmly believe that in life different things are there for different experiences and for different times. Mm-hmm. My time in the Senate was was and still is a valued part of my life. It changed the perception I'd like to believe of persons with disabilities locally, regionally. Uh, I was able to engage at all kinds of levels. Mm-hmm. The there was an international there was um the International Parliamentary Union. They held a conference in the US at UN House and I got to deliver uh, a prepared speech okay. on that occasion. I got mm-hmm. to preside, I got to moderate one of the panels and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So I've had wonderful experiences like that where they did not see the blind, they, they, they couldn't see you as anything but capable, competent, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that part of it, yes, I would not, that, that did change for a lot of people. And I was able to be part of a legislative process. So I enjoyed all of that. But that is a part of my life I don't need to live over again. I'm embarking on other parts of my life now. And I think each one of them, my my thing in life is to help other people to reach their potential. You said that um, in, 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 in many ways, these are my words, the Senate has changed you. For the better, yes, I should hope so. Yes, it has. <laughs> tell us, tell us some ways in which the Senate has changed you. One of the challenges of living with a disability, especially for us in the Caribbean, well, not just in the Caribbean in general, is sometimes the narrow view we have on life. Uh, you know, we go to mm-hmm. schools for the blind. We go to yes. we, we we belong to organizations yes. for persons with disabilities. Most of absolutely true disabilities and stuff mm-hmm. like that so we don't and sometimes we think that certain things are unique to us becoming a part of the senate i was able to see a lot of other things uh, i realized that a lot of the issues that we have or a lot of other vulnerable groups minorities a lot of people have the same challenges maybe not mm-hmm. in the same degree maybe not in the same way but they, they, they do encounter a lot of the situations mm-hmm. that we do so that's one part of it Another part of another reason why the Senate changed me is it also I, I look at the Carrianda that walked at the steps of Government House back in two thousand and eight when it was sworn in. Mm. And the Carrianda that walked up State House, which it is now known as, as I've said before, last week Monday to be sworn in as a part of the commission. They're two different women. The women back that the one back then was a more timid, um, Mm -hmm. less self-assured. The one that went last week is not though, it's not that, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Back then, I wondered what I had to bring to the table. I know what I have to bring to the table now. Oh, Uh, so there's greater self-confidence. There is that. And then, of course, there is, and and along with all of that, there's a wider world experience. There's a wider world view. There's uh, a level of understanding and appreciation. Some persons with disabilities don't think that I was the kind of 
They want, you know, and that's why I said I'm not a political person. Mm. They wanted a firebrand. They wanted somebody to denounce this and do that. That's not me. That's not my character. Right. Kind of it doesn't person. always work, does it? No, it doesn't. It does not. Because if every time I open my mouth, the only thing I can talk about is the rights of persons with disabilities. Some people, they, 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 they're going to go to, there was an old joke told by uh, about Eric Williams. Mm. And it wasn't about this kind of thing, but I, I don't ever want it. Anyway, so Eric Williams said, Mr. Speaker, sir, like the other speaker, sir, who had spoken for over two hours, I have nothing to say. Now, Eric Williams's statement then is remembered today. How many people remember what that person said before him for the two hours? Very few. But Only political. But Eric's statement. But Eric's statement was less than ten. Was less than two minutes. But yeah. That is remembered, right? Mm-hmm. So the the carry on, the rant, the storm. Mm-hmm. You don't need you, you that 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 doesn't achieve for everybody. No, right? and it, and it varies from situation to situation. Of course, it yeah, does. some situations that warrant it. Of course, they are, and and you need to be able to do that. But then there are others that you don't need to do that, I agree. especially if it's not your style, mm-hmm. you know. And mm-hmm. sometimes, too, we who live with disability, we who live in various groups in our society, sometimes we don't recognize that. Case in point. Mm-hmm. Um, Housing is a challenge for persons with disabilities. Yes. Right? The housing concerns. But housing is a problem for persons from low income backgrounds. Yes. Persons all, all over the right? world. For all mm-hmm. over from people from different walks of life and so mm-hmm. on. Now, our challenges are unique in that we need certain modifications mm-hmm. when we own a home. It's depending on your type of disability. But the fact is so legislation so you go into parliament you legislate that 15 percent of the housing stock must be given to persons with disabilities okay fine but can but you also have to find a way to make sure they can afford it that they can have you have to make sure it's placed in the right spots and all kinds of different things sometimes the that, implementation is a problem yeah exactly mm-hmm. you know and we don't get that we, we because we see it from our point of view mm-hmm. and like i'm saying I'm not blaming us. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying that that is the reality we live with because we're not exposed often to everything. And then sometimes, you know what? Sometimes it really truly is not our... There are other people to champion the causes for other people. We need to champion our own. Hmm. So yeah, sometimes it doesn't really matter if, 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 if there are 20 other people that this is impacting. The fact is, you all hmm. need to make sure so I'm getting from you, Miss Ifield. So of you, of you being in the Senate, there were rather great expectation of you from the disabled community, thinking when you get into office as a senator that you're going to bring about a change immediately. Yes, that can't happen. Hmm. It cannot happen. It cannot happen. It cannot happen. You do not, we do not operate in a vacuum. We do not operate in silos. Not in, not in any world. We can't. But what we can do, however, is to make sure that incrementally that we do get things brought on stream. There was one of the Caribbean territories enacted legislation for persons with disabilities, but it did not get proclaimed for a number of years oh, because yeah. 
I know because. that territory. <laughs> Actually, there's more than one. Come to think of it, there were more. There was more, than, but there were different reasons why it didn't happen, right? And the the, the community of persons with disabilities might have said, "Oh, but there were persons with disabilities as part of the parliamentary process, and this wasn't done, and that wasn't done." Mm-hmm. It's not that we're not. The, it's not just the one thing. It takes a lot to get it right. And also, you spend a lot of time trying to convince your colleagues that this this particular thing is necessary, or you know, it, it's not. Well, easy. you know what? I keep telling people, a parliament is but a microcosm, a reflection, if you want, of the larger society. Mm-hmm. If society as a whole mm-hmm. does not understand that persons with disabilities are just people like them that live with a with a different type of challenge if society doesn't get it where are they going to go and find in barbados 50 people that be that all automatically you, know, you don't walk into parliament and this halo drops on your head and you understand and know everything you don't suddenly lose all of your preconceived notions and all of your biases and all of that now, the difference is, though, that when you are appointed, elected, whichever way you get into the parliamentary process, of you much more is required and you're the expectations, and you better get on board. You better learn. You better understand. Mm-hmm. But that being said, you go in and you learn, mm-hmm. right? But it doesn't mean that they go, they walk in understanding everything because that's not how it works. Carry on. Um- for the benefit of our listeners, our international listeners, exactly what is the Caribbean Council for the Blind? The Caribbean Council for the Blind was established back in 1967 in Trinidad. It's now based in Antigua and Barbuda. That's where our secretariat is, St. John's. And we have done many programs for the blind all over the Caribbean for many, many years. Uh, in the past, we've done training in capacity building for our member agencies. We have several member agencies in the various islands of the Caribbean, uh, primarily in the Anglophone and Francophone Caribbean. Uh, we have members in Martinique, Guadeloupe, French Guiana. We also have members from as far up as the Bahamas, right down to we've got Jamaica, um, Trinidad and Tobago, Antigua, Barbuda, St. Kitts, and you have St. Haiti. Lucia. Haiti. What about Suriname? No, we don't have the Dutch. We have Guyana. We have Barbados, of course. Grenada is a member. Um, St. Vincent, Dominica. Uh, no, Dominica does not have an organization for the blind. We have an associate member out of Dominica, the disabled um, DAPD, right? So going we do back, have going, going back in history, Aruba and Bonaire mm-hmm. and Curacao were were quoting us at one stage to put it simply. What what happened to that relationship? Do you know? Or it's I don't, you? but I'll tell you that's before my time, but I'll tell you one of the biggest challenges we have. Um, CCB is under-resourced in terms of financial support and what's not. And that has implications when you want to break into the Dutch and the Francophone. And don't forget, we've got um, Cuba 
as well. So we have challenges in that area, in that regard, because it takes translation and all of that. Now, translation isn't as challenging now as it was then. We've got electronic means and modalities that can make a fairly passable translation of documents. Mm. So we do have those opportunities available to us now. But at one time, time at one time, Cuba was a no-no because of the politics. Yes, but that we, as we know, Cuba has opened exactly. up a lot more. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So that can that that those are things that can be looked into. But that being said, that being said, um, we do CCB over the years. A lot of our international aid and support, we were very heavily supported by Sightsavers International, mm. but they withdrew, <clears throat> they gradually withdrew their financial aid to CCB. So we've had to widen our scope, diversify our ways, because disability in the Caribbean is still largely an underfunded program in every country. I think Barbados right now is the only one whose government agency for persons with disabilities actually employs someone to go out to the homes and do um, the adjustment to blindness services. Most of those services around the, in the other Caribbean territories are provided by the NGOs that are member agencies of CCB. Now, some people would say that, that I'm not going to get into the back and forth about why it's better to be there and all of that. But the point is, if you don't have the funding to pay the person, which happened in a lot of territories, then a lot of the adjustment to blindness officers have gone out of the system because they were underemployed. The agencies didn't have the funding to continue to, to pay them. And as inflation and stuff went up, they lost a lot of people that way, right? So that is a big challenge that we have. When you have to exist on government subventions and stuff at the agency level, um, it's not always that it's not always possible so ccb right now we have vision care centers in antigua we have some in jamaica as well where we are doing a lot of we run we were running an optometry program out of the university of guyana we are about to establish it in jamaica as well um we've been doing a lot of work in eye health over the years we worked closely with paho on the barbados eye study back in the 80s and we continue to work with a lot of agencies around the Caribbean in glaucoma study, diabetic retinopathy. Um, we did a lot of work with that through the Queen's Diamond Jubilee Trust. And we continue to try as best we can to support and build out our programs. During the pandemic, we set up what we call CERT. Our, um, it was a critical emergency response team where we were able to engage, especially during the volcanic eruptions in St. Vincent last year, we reached out to the, the Prime Minister of St. Vincent and encouraged them, you know, make sure that you, with your evacuation programs and plans and what's not, this is the kind of thing you need to look at for the blind. And we also emphasize the deaf as well and stuff and other persons with disabilities. So we try to still do our public engagement and so on. Right now, we're doing, we're looking at reforming our constitution. We're looking at um, increasing our membership participation. So we've got membership forum going. And we're also, like I said just now, doing some work in education as well.
Your, your, your secretariat has a very small staff. Yes, it does. And that is part of the problem. You, a huge part of the problem. Yes, because you don't have enough funding. Mm-hmm. You have ideas, but you can't implement them because you don't have the kind of funding that is required. Severely what, under-resourced. Yes. What is being done? Um, is there, I know it's a big challenge, but currently, what, what is being done to try to work around that problem? Well, we have a very dedicated CEO, Mr. Arville Grant, and he, he works really hard to try to find, um, you know, he, he's trying to outsource and resource CCB in such a way that we can be a little bit more limber and agile. He works um, so that we don't have as many challenges and so on. But the truth of the matter is there's still a lot of areas that we need continued support. So we engage with different agencies. We're trying to bring other regional entities on board so that we can really drill down and get some more um, spread in the Caribbean again. Do you find that member agencies are coming on board actively to support your the the CCB programs? What I mean is that um, member agencies um, are they consulted enough? Do you think? Well, the thing is that's why we re- estab- that's why we've established a membership forum and so on, because the truth is that I don't think that we have been able to do that because as the resources reduced, as the staffing at CCB, we went from a situation where we had about five or six full-time staff members. We Mm -hmm. had an accounts officer. We had someone who managed the office work. We had persons assigned to work on programs and projects. And all of that. So we went from those down to where we only have the CEO and one other full-time staff member in office. So obviously, we can't, everybody, you, you, yes, you might have people that are jacks of all trades, but you know what the end of that statement is, master of none. Because you really don't have the time and the resources to do all of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we are trying to widen. And the other thing, too, is, is that reality is reality. We've got a lot of changeover in the blindness community. There's a lot of new ways to engage. And if I'm being honest, I don't think that we have been able to respond as quickly. Hence why we're trying to do the membership forum. Now we do those once a quarter. We really wish we could do them more often. But this is a volunteering thing. So we can only do it when we have people to support it. And that is so that each agency can come back and engage with us and say, well, this is what we want to see, you know, and talk about some of the things that are important. Braille has gone through a major, major, major transition in the last 10 years. And the Caribbean had, was not actively engaged when the, when the English-speaking territories of the world brought that change about. And those are the kinds of things that we do need to hear our voices on, right? We don't, we, we need to have that kind of input and feedback. Um, you and I were having an off-air discussion about the teachers of the blind and visually impaired. Some years ago, we had a program that trained teachers of the blind. That program ended 
I think about 10 years, I think, or mm -hmm. so back. And we've had no new teachers of the blind trained in the Caribbean. And with, yes, we have diminishing numbers of t students who are presenting as totally blind. But the thing is, the students who are low vision, those numbers are increasing. Students with multiple disabilities are increasing. But we don't have enough teachers trained to cope with those students. And then when we have those students presenting in the mainstream, so CCB, um, we recognize these areas and we are trying to engage in different ways with different entities to bring some of those programs back on stream. And also it goes back to the fact that um, the work at CCB is project-driven. Yes. You don't have funding that you can allocate at will to other areas if they're no. not in a project. No, that, no. That, that is part of the problem. In large part of the problem, yes. Off air, we were talking about relationships with member agents and individuals. Don't you think when you... These forums can also um, be a problem in that expectations will run high, but you can't deliver? I don't know. I'm just thinking aloud. Um, <laughs> how do you get around the fact that I might come in and say, I want a Braille press in Jamaica, but CCB doesn't have the resources. to. I'm just using that as an example. Mm -hmm. CCB doesn't have the resources to put a Braille press in. That's going to frustrate me. Of course it is. Of course it is. But again, I think the, the problem is the way that all of us look at these things. Agencies like CCB, agencies, umbrella bodies, and so on. The funding that we once had at our disposal, we do not have anymore. What we need to do is to start leveraging the other things, the networks, the friendships, the programs that we have, the expertise. It's not about, we, we are very insular people in the Caribbean. Mm. We don't, sometimes we don't go past our island shores. Now, a press, a Braille press in Jamaica is fine. But what about the brails, the, the needs of the blind students at the schools in St. Kitts, Antigua? They're not too far away from Jamaica. You know, maybe if we were able to pool resources, that Braille press. Now, you might only have one totally blind student requiring Braille every three years in Antigua. Jamaica, because it's a larger population, might have mm. three. St. Mm. Kitts might have one every four years. But if there is a Braille press in Jamaica that we can rely on. There's no pooling of resources. Exactly. And that's what mm. we need to do, start pooling of resources. And people keep thinking that financial resources are the only ones no. that we have. They're not. There are lots of other, there's parties, there's, yes, exactly, exactly. Mm. One of the good things about COVID, can you imagine talking about good things about COVID? But one oh, of the, COVID did one of the good things about COVID is that um, communication seemed to have gotten easier. It had, I'll tell you something. We had, there, there were pockets of interactions. Um, this is not a CCB thing, though, but there was, there's a, a WhatsApp group with well over 100 persons in it mm. called Caribbean Disab Disabled Leaders. And mm. it's it, people from as far as Belize, 
all across are interacting. Now, yes, you only get maybe one person from this country and two people from that one and 15 from that from a different one. But at least you've got voices there engaging yeah. so that you're getting a better scope. Yes, COVID demanded mm. that. And, you know, there, there's a lot that can come out of that. But that is the problem is now that COVID's impact is easing up somewhat. Or How do we maintain maybe it? it? How maintenance, that is the problem. That is the problem. A lot of us are so eager to get back out there. And I'm not saying anything is wrong. Like, for example, I teach assistive technology. I didn't stop teaching during COVID. I, kept, I moved my program online. And the online worked for a lot of the students because I have like one elderly lady. Mm. She lives alone. And she doesn't have access to a vehicle, um, you know, with anybody to drive and bring her to class. So every week it had to be ask someone a favor to pick her up and bring her. Mm. So she'd come down and then she'd be there for three, four hours, even though her session ended an hour and two ago because she had to wait until somebody picked her up. On Wednesday morning, her class is going to be at 1130 and I'm going to take up my phone. I'm going to give her a call. I'm going to say, hey, let's go. And that's going to be the beginning of her program right now. It's going to work out beautifully because of that. So she don't need to come down to me or anything like that. I can do her classes online. It made us bend our minds away. I told you I'm doing a, a postgraduate diploma. Mm-hmm. I'm doing that largely. I've done it. I've only been to the school once, but I've completed five parts of the course already. And I have two more courses to go. We do not need to interact face-to-face. Being face-to-face, I'm not saying it's not important. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying it's not necessary. I'm just saying that there are other ways. Now, if we go back to a hybrid, if we go back face-to-face, there should be a way to ensure that online students can still participate because that student in a wheelchair, that student who is visually impaired, who can take notes better with their computer, who can interact better, you know, if I go to, if I have to go to class on Thursday at my teacher training college, I have to make sure somebody can give me a ride there. Now, you would say, but that everybody else has to wrestle with that. But guess what? Three weeks ago, my driver's car broke down just uh, when he was supposed to leave home to come pick me up from work. For two weeks, I had to figure out how I'm getting to and from work on a daily basis. <laughs> it's that a thing drove me crazy. It's a headache. <laughs> yes, yes. Right? And people say, well, you have a bus system in Barbados. Yes, we do. But guess what? I have a very busy schedule. Last Tuesday, I had two meetings, one at 2 o'clock, one at 3.30. And then I had one at 5.30 as well. I had to position myself and said, no, if my driver's car was working, that wouldn't have been a problem. Mm. But I had to figure out a way to dip between this and that. So I had to leave. I had to end my two o'clock at three, get picked up and dropped home so that I could start my 3.30 meeting online. Mm. And you know what has annoyed me? Because every since his car was off the road, for the two weeks that I had those 3.30 meetings, meetings started at quarter to four and that annoyed me. Yes. That only happened yes. because... Now, yes, I could have started the meetings on my phone, but there were things I needed that I had to get on the computer. It was a pain in the neck. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, tell us now, what 
how do you see the future of the Caribbean Council for the Blind? That's, that's a big one. but It's a really big one. But the future I see for the Caribbean Council for the Blind is I'd like us to go back and come forward. When mm -hmm. I say go back, there was a time when CCB was the authority on blindness in the Caribbean. It's where governments came when they needed advice, mm -hmm. guidance, and so on. Mm -hmm. That consultative process, we need to broaden it out because it's the numbers of students, the, the um, number of students who are be being born blind and living with visual impairment only has diminished greatly. So a lot of people don't concentrate on that. But CCB has a very, very, very powerful lobby if we can get back into that consultative. Now, on that hand, we st on the other hand, we also need to come forward and broaden out because when we did, we did have adjustment to blindness officers, but that program needs broadening. We, mm. we put a lot of emphasis on orientation and mobility in the Caribbean. But as the school's programs have dwindled, as the support for the blind has dwindled, and so on, as we have more mainstream, we need more persons trained in the area of employment awareness for the blind and stuff like that. CCB is best positioned to do the training in those categories. Are we talking to and CARICOM? Are we talking to CARICOM? Well, that's a whole other story. We're tr we, we've got the special rapporteur, um, Senator Dr. Floyd Morris, a very good friend, very dear, yeah, I, yeah, powerful I know. friend. Yeah. And he is a CARICOM special rapporteur in disabilities. So we always have that ear to work with, right? Oh, so you, but work, CARICOM, you can work through Senator Morris. We can, we can. But the CARICOM also has um, its challenges with that. as well. So there, there, there is, it's a regional thing. It's not a one-off thing. Because I remember there was a time in, in the life of CCB when we used to talk a lot with the CARICOM secretariat um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. through the Secretary General in those days. But I, mm -hmm. I don't know what is happening these days and whether that is continuing. Well, we try, we try. If you have any questions or comments regarding this program, please address them to norwill2 at gmail.com. That is... N-O-R-W-I-L-L -L, number 2 at gmail.com Thanks for listening. Have a happy and productive week. That's it for today. Join me next time when we will present another in the series Vision Scope. Music was provided by Rennie Williams Jr. If you have any questions or comments regarding this program, please address them to norwill2 at gmail.com. That is n-o-r-w-i-l-l -L, number two at gmail.com Thanks for listening. Have a happy and productive week.